0: Welcome to Mad Tales. Welcome back to Mad Tales. I'm James Nolan. It's summer 2022 as I record this in my not really little studio in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I do not have a lot to update you guys about right now. I'm still working on the script plot beating major scene creation of Planet Kill Death Kill. Still working on all of those music projects and I'm still going to be vending at the Fredericksburg Comic and Toy Show. The Fredericksburg Comic and Toy Show is Saturday, July 16th from 1030 a.m. to 430 p.m. at the Fredericksburg Expo Center. It's a full day of vendors, artists and crafters and so much more. This annual get together is your chance to hang out with fellow Fredzilla's and geek out for a full day of family friendly fun. Don't miss the fabulous cosplay contest and cosplay dance off. Before we get started, don't forget that Mungwort is out right now in a variety of formats, including ebook, paperback, hardcover, and, of course, audiobook. Can't wait until next week to get to the next chapter? Don't want to wait until September to get to the end? Order Mungwort today. And now, on to the next chapter of Mungwort. Fresh Meat Evening in the summer, a trickle of sweat running down the nape of a wrinkled neck, a veined hand resting on the arm of a chair, a glass pitcher of lemonade sweating on a table. Mueller slunk up to the front porch of the main house and leaned against the rail. Blood spattered his jeans and shirt, black fluid covered his boots, and a dark red stain bled through the bandage wrapped around his right hand. Rocking in a chair in front of the window, Lilith leveled her leonine eyes upon him. She waved her fan back and forth, back and forth. Hard day, my pet? You ain't know the half of it. Got a minute? Oh, Etienne, you know I always have a minute for you. Come, sit. She gestured at a second rocking chair next to the table with the lemonade on it. I ain't too fresh right now. There's nothing on you I haven't smelled before. Mueller scoffed. All right, okay he took off his hat and climbed the stairs with a weary sigh. The rocking chair creaked when he sat down, and when he rocked, he couldn't help but smell himself, and the smell of the rot, the mungwort, and what must have been a bit of Jake. As ripe as he was, the old woman's perfume cut through it, rose water with a faint note of lilac. The combination made him feel green. Lemonade? Lilith asked. Mueller looked at the pitcher, looked away. Pass. Don't be silly, child. How does Desmond put it? It's hotter than a cooz in a blender out here. She chuckled as she poured, the ice tinkling. You always keep two glasses out here? You never know when you're going to have company. She squeezed an orange wedge on the rim and handed the drink to him. Here you go. Don't be shy. Mueller allowed himself a little smile. He took the glass and pressed it against his forehead. I meant to talk to you about something. Desmond left the basement door unlocked again. Don't surprise me. He leaves his keys in his truck all the time. Does he now? I'll talk to him about it. I can't begin to tell you how careless that is. I know. Does he think he's the only one who can drive? It's a manual transmission. I can't see how that matters. Can you imagine it? We're not completely isolated out here. The city is only 10 miles away. I said I'd talk to him about it. Perhaps he needs a new booster? New batch is coming soon. Can't have him out for that long. Fair enough. A breath, a sigh, a reset. The extraction is going well, I assume? Well as can be. And what is that supposed to mean? It means it's going as well as it can be. Etienne, are you being curt? No, ma'am. I think you are. I think you're being curt. I ain't being curt. We got a problem with the mung And, if I'm not mistaken, here you sit before me, the man I hired to solve our Mungwort problem, yes? Give me a team of strong backs and I'll have it cleared up in a month. Did you or did you not say that? Well, it's different now. Different how? Remember in the spring when you changed the formula? It's that kind of different. I don't see how that has anything to do... That fire vine nearly burned down the hoop house. Compared to that, this is toadstools after the rain. Etienne, please be direct. I have no patience for your homespun analogies this evening. The new strain's spreading faster than we thought. Last week, it was only a few trees. Now it's at least a hundred yards into the woods. Lilith gave him a startled look. My, my, my. Mm-hmm. So we'll acquire more help. Well, we keep lining them up, and the Mung War keeps taking them out. Lost another one today. Good work or two. That's three this month. Four if you include the one who tried to run off. Sounds to me like you have a discipline problem. We lose any more, it'll spread out of control. You know what'll happen next. I ain't taking a fall because your big boss wants to move too fast. Is that a threat, dear? Mueller swallowed his protest. He swirled the lemonade in the glass. It ain't a threat. It's reality. I don't mean to be unkind, but you are in charge of the laborers after all. Warner says it's a morale. We got them pound and tail six days a week. The formula should take care of that. Lilith took a quick breath. Is it really that bad? You saw them two go at it on Sunday. If the boys hadn't broken it up, them two girls would have wrecked each other. On cue, Cece stalked across the field in the distance, heading for Yurtville. Even that far away, Lilith could see the bloodstains on her clothes. Our dear Cecilia is quite the fireplug, is she not? She walks around like she's a goddamn queen of Egypt. Pardon my French. The mixed cliché bothers me more, my boy. That girl's got a bad attitude, and it affects everybody around her. I have half a mind to... No, Etienne. You just say the word. I said no. The girl's off limits. No special assignments. No accidents. At least for the time being. Do I make myself clear? The old woman gazed out over the driveway, stone cold and stoic. Mueller studied her face. His eye twitched. Crystal. Delightful. Here's an idea. Why not give them a day off? Throw a party. It's Monday. We got at least two acres of clear by the end of the week. Half a day, then. You'd be surprised what a little kindness can do. Give them a few cases of beer, some fresh meat for the barbecue. Let them numb themselves. A little extra dusting tonight and tomorrow night should take care of the aggression. They'll even thank you for it. Mueller listened to the night sound swell. He shrugged. You're the boss, Applesauce. I do love your colloquialisms, Etienne. She patted his leg. The damaged ones. Can we salvage them? Laszlo says they've been gumming up the works. Well, that won't do, will it? Lilith took a sip of her drink and waved her fan, thinking. Mueller watched her, waiting. Beer basher now, we need some fresh meat. I'll place the order. Yeah, about that. The city of Fredericksburg, located between two major metropolitan hubs, D.C. in the north and Richmond in the south, suffered the same unfettered gentrification many little towns experienced at the beginning of the 21st century. Condos and townhouses popped up downtown like weeds, bringing with them a much-desired tax base, as well as unrelenting traffic. Tech workers with offices in D.C., tired of the gridlock and high cost of living in Demick and Nova, brought their high salaries and electric cars south, rode the train into work every morning, or every other morning, depending on their boss's view on telecommuting, and enjoyed the slow pace of the little city on nights and weekends. Fittingly, the laborers followed. For who was going to clean those overpriced condos and townhomes? Who was going to make camper specials at Sammy T's? Who was going to wash the sheets at the Kenmore Inn? Some of these workers came by truck and van, some arrived by sedan, but even more crossed over the city limits via Greyhound bus, something of which Karen Bomer was well aware. The Greyhound station in Fredericksburg, Fred Central to the locals, sat on the corner of Stafford Avenue and on Route 1, across the street from the legendary Almonds Barbecue and the Parthenon Restaurant. Bomer often parked her truck in the church lot across the street, backing into a space under a tree in the corner. There she would wait and watch, wait and watch sometimes snoozing between runs, waking when a new bus brake to a stop at the depot. More often than not, the riders possessed inferior qualities. They were too fat or too skinny or too addicted, too lazy, too angry, too dumb. But now and then, the perfect match showed up. Back on Lilith's front porch, Mueller clucked his tongue. You know Bomer's gone off the rails, don't you? Oh, come now, Etienne, how so? She ain't bringing in the prime rib no more. Just picks up whatever street meat is most convenient. She brought us the girl, did she not? Yeah, well, she also brought Rufus. Six o'clock in the morning, the latest bus from Danville rumbled away in a cloud of diesel exhaust. Karen, snorting awake at the sound, sat up straighter. A man and a teenage girl were talking in the port. They were wearing the telltale outfits of the day laborer, cowboy hats with bandanas, worn jeans and work boots. Even more telling was their luggage, or lack thereof, for they only carried a backpack each, hers light blue, his black, both dirty and weather-beaten, the straps thinning at the shoulders. Karen tapped on her steering wheel, a sly smile creeping up on her face. Gotcha. Miss Bomer has my trust, Etienne, but that means she has yours. Mueller took a sip of his lemonade, then he stood up and whacked his hat on his thigh, sending dust and dirt into the air. Yeah, All right. Good. The old woman softened. The two of you used to be so friendly. I don't know where things went off track. When I realize she's one brick short of a wall, they both looked up at the sound of a truck approaching. Karen's Ford was motoring down the drive, kicking up dust behind it. Speak of the devil, Lilith said. Etienne, be a dear, would you? Yeah, I got it. He plonked his hat on his head and moseyed over to the top of the circular drive where he waited with his hands on his hips. The truck circled to a stop in front of him. The gear shifted to park, and Karen pushed the door open and hopped down. Hiya, boss, she said, waving. Looking good, Miss Lady. Mueller ambled around the front of the truck, his eyes on the pair in Karen's cab. A middle-aged man blinked awake in the center bench seat. Next to him, a young girl, 13 or 14 years old, rested her head on his shoulder, eyes closed, mouth open. Smiling at Karen, Mueller said, Dropping them off in broad daylight now, huh? Through her own grin, Karen said, Eat shitty tea. Cece leaned up against the wood planks of the outdoor shower. Pink water swirled around the drain at her feet. She let the hot water run down her body, pushed her face into the stream. She tried to block out what happened, but no matter how hard she tried, the images kept popping into her head, and she relived the entire scene again as if she was there. Mueller and Laszlo held the thrashing Jake down. Jake screamed, his lips bleeding, a piece of skin sloughed off his face. Mueller yelled, Cece, still fresh from a semi-coma herself, scrambled over and grabbed Jake's ankles. She shot a look at Ben, who was trying to control Jake's arms, but Ben shook her off. Iko ran in, a panicked look on her face. When she saw Jake, she screamed and stumbled against one of the support beams. "'Anytime now, Doc!' Mueller called. Laszlo bustled out of the back office, holding a syringe filled with green fluid. "'Please to move! Please to move!' Ben scooted aside to let him in. Jake's head thrashed back and forth. "'Hold the head! Hold the head!' Mueller clamped his hands down on either side of Jake's skull, eliciting a feral scream. That's it, Laszlo cried. He jammed the needle into the crispy flesh of Jake's neck, pressed the plunger until the fluid emptied. Jake stopped thrashing. His breathing slowed. Laszlo removed the needle and stowed it in his apron pocket. He looked around at everyone. Well, that was exciting, he said. Yes. Cece strolled across Europeville, toweling off her hair. The air was so thick with humidity that she wasn't sure if the moisture she was wiping off her neck was sweat or water from the shower. She looked up and saw a black truck pulling into the circular driveway in front of the main house. An image flashed into her mind. She was sitting in a truck cab. The trees blurred past only a few feet from her window. A form next to her, the driver, a thick-bodied woman with curly blonde hair. I guess you're going to be an asshole about it. Earth to Cece, Ben was standing in front of her, waving a hand in her face. You there? Yeah, yeah, I was just, you know. Yeah, I know. That was bad. Really bad. Do you think he'll be? Never mind. Cece rolled up her towel and slung it over her neck. I don't know anything for sure, Ben. I hope he'll be okay. Me too. You know it wasn't your fault, right? Oh, yeah, of course, but that was right there. I saw it happen. Mueller and Warner stalked down the slope from the main house to Europeville, Mueller jawing in Warner's ear. Warner nodding along as if he understood. What do you think this is going to be about? As the pair drew closer, CeCe heard Warner snap a curt. I didn't leave the fucking door unlocked, DT, so let that shit go. What's going on? Ben called. The men looked up, a little astonished to see Ben and CeCe standing there. Warner took the lead. Round everybody up, you two. Staff meeting in ten. No fat jokes? Ben asked as they walked away. Not today, ham When CeCe entered her yurt, Aiko was curled up in bed, facing the wall, either asleep or in shock, and Harlow was sitting on her cot with her legs crossed under her, reading a paperback. She going to be okay? Cece asked. What do you think? If she wants to take a few shots of my vodka, she can. Noted. I can hear you, Aiko said. She rolled over and sat up. Her face was puffy and red, and her hair, normally silky smooth or put up in a flawless ponytail, stood up in all directions. You serious about that vodka? As a heart attack, Cece went over to her bag and took out the bottle. Burnett's, she said. The champagne of vodka. Iko snorted. Champagne of vodka? Was that an ad or something? It's something my father used to say. He was a connoisseur. Trust me. Iko took a pull, wincing as she swallowed. Smooth, she said, coughing. Cece took the bottle and tipped it back. He's going to be okay, you know. Iko bit her lip and nodded. I mean, he's Jake, right? Cece added. He's got enough vitamins and essential oils in him to cure cancer. Iko let out an involuntary laugh. I mean, it's so stupid, she said. He's just a summer fling. Yeah, but you two are close. It's okay to be upset. Harlow slammed her book down on her bed. Are you two really going to do this now? Iko and Cece stared at her. God, Harlow moaned. She got out of bed and stomped outside. A few minutes later, the smell of cigarette smoke wafted through the entrance. Don't pay attention to her, Cece said. I try not to. A comfortable pause. So, Warner called a meeting. Iko groaned. I'm not going to that. I figured. Want another snort? Iko reached for the bottle. No. Hey, hey, hey. Mungwort, the sequel to MPK, is out right now in ebook, paperback, hardcover, and audiobook. I'm not going to read all of the places it's available online, but I'm sure wherever you are in the world, as you listen to this, it is available. And if you still can't get it, go to silverhammer.studio and click on the contact me button, and I'll see if I can get it out to you directly. Most likely I can. Can't wait to hear it. Don't want to go chapter by chapter? Pick up Mungwort today. And now, back to Mad Tales. CeCe sidled up to the back of the crowd as Warner made a perfunctory inventory of the faces. Anybody who ain't here, y'all tell them what's going on. Got it? Solemn nods, boots scuffing the dirt. I don't feel like I need to tell y'all what happened this afternoon. If you wasn't there, somebody probably already let you know. I think maybe we all need a little break. So the boss lady gave us the rest of the day off. A few murmurs of approval. She also ordered some barbecue. The murmurs turned into a couple of right-ons. And a couple of cases of beer. The subsequent yelling and whooping made Cece's ears ring. Warner patted the air with his hands. Don't think this means anything because it don't. And work starts up at ten a.m. sharp tomorrow morning, so don't get so fucked up you can't do nothing. He would have gone on, but the celebratory din made it useless. So he threw up his hands and walked away. Behind him, Cece caught sight of Mueller escorting two passengers from the cab of the black truck. The first one was a girl, maybe twelve or thirteen years old. An older man followed. He put a hand on the girl's shoulder and said something, and the girl looked up and nodded. Cece felt her jaw tighten. Oh, you've got to be... Later, at the party. Kidding me? A kid? They're letting kids work here now? What the fuck? She and Ben sat in front of a smoldering campfire. Ben picked up a handful of dead leaves, dunked them into a bucket of water, and threw them into the ring. They sizzled at first, then sent up a cloud of black smoke as they burned. Several other rings produce trickles and clouds of similar smoke here and there. Ben put the bucket down and sat on the ground next to her. It is kind of messed up. It's fucked up is what it is. That girl's maybe 13 years old. Could you really tell at that distance? Maybe the guy just has a really short wife. A kid has no business being here. They'll probably give her a job in the main house. Oh, great. So her dad gets his face melted off by some fungus pus, leaving her to deal with that creepy old bat on her own? Have you eaten yet? These brats are delicious. As if by magic, Ben produced a brat on a stick and took a bite. Not hungry. Suit yourself. Somebody laughed behind them. The smell of pot filled the air, and Ben sang, Pass the duchy on the left, hand side of and Give me the music, maybe jump and prance. Cece glared at him, and the lyrics died on his lips. Sorry. Something fucked up is going on here, Cece said. Shh, Ben hissed. He looked around, scanning for something or someone. Cece followed suit. What is it? Just shush, okay? Cece leaned in and got in his face. When she spoke again, it was with a harsh whisper. That's exactly what I'm talking about, Ben. What are you so scared of? Nothing, I guess. I just don't want anybody telling on us, that's all. That's what you're worried about? This place is fucked up. I was attacked by vines. You saw it. That's not normal. Ben stared at her for a moment, then he broke out laughing. (laughs) What the fuck are you talking about? The vines? Out in the west field. Remember the full-body rash I got? Dude, you got a rash because you didn't cuff your pants like Harlow told you to. I got a rash because those vines attacked me in the woods. Right. Ben, you were there. You saw me get thrown out of that wall of prickers. Wall of prickers? Cece studied him. He took a swig of beer. Warner's an asshole and the work sucks, but there's nothing supernatural going on because supernatural shit isn't real, Cece. This place is just, he searched for the word, for a thread of logic that he could use to convince her, but trailed off into nothing. He took another bite of his brat. At least it beats telemarketing, he finally said. Another year of that bullshit and they'd have to lock me up in the ha-ha house. Cece frowned. I thought you said you were here on summer break. Okay, enough with the jokes. You told me you're an English major at William & Mary. You said you thought this might be something you could write about. Ben stood up and shook his can. Got a dead soldier here, you want another? Ben, I'm getting really tired of it, Cece, okay? Just let it go. She watched him wander off, then she crushed her beer can and tossed it into the pile next to the fire ring. A couple holding hands passed by, whispering and laughing. Hi, the girl said. Cece nodded, watched them amble off into the woods behind Yurtville. The main house was dark except for one window, but the hoop house glowed warmly in the distance. She imagined Laszlo bent over a formula he was working on, alternately muttering to himself and hissing with laughter. The vent cap on her yurt turned and squeaked quietly in the night. The full moon highlighted a faint cloud floating out of the top. She looked at the vent of the yurt next to hers, and sure enough, a cloud was floating out of it, too. And the one next to it, and the one next to that one. All of them, in fact. She looked at the hoop house, her yurt, and back to the hoop house. Cece had almost reached the entry when the lights inside cut off. She paused, listening, and when she heard the front door open, she darted around to the side of the steps and pressed herself up against the building. Laszlo scuttered out of the front door, half singing, half humming what sounded like a folk song. I will open the fields to those who love. Let them sing awake and in their rest. I do breathe and that means I'm in love. I'm in love and that means I exist. The lock tumbled and he bounced down the stairs, whirling his key ring around one finger and snapping with the other, singing Doo-dee-doo-doo-doo. Cici watched him recede into the night, his white form steadily tracked by the glow of the moon. She kept expecting the darkness to swallow him up, but it never did. If there was one thing that continued to amaze her, in a positive way at least, it was how clear the sky was out there, the marvel of the celestial lights. Did she ever know how many stars there were in the universe? They clustered so thick and full that she thought it was an illusion as if some kind of divine projector had thrown them upon the black screen of the heavens. And so bright! She stood there, gazing at it all, not minding how long it took for Laszlo to finally disappear. The moon lit the inside of the hoop house with a pale white light, casting shadows in the shadows. But for the whir of a distant fan, all was quiet. Cece strolled down the middle aisle, watching the spaces between the boards, looking for the blinking red light she'd seen on her first day. The guts of the operation, she said to herself. Laszlo, you freaky little creep. A red light flashed below, and Cece stopped, looked around, grabbed the potted fern off of one of the tables, and placed it at her feet. Then she retraced her steps to the vestibule, counting each one. Fifteen, she said. From the fern to the back, it was twenty. Now, how to get down there? She'd crisscrossed the hoop house floor during her brief orientation, but not once had she seen a stairway or a trapdoor or anything resembling some kind of portal someone might have cut into the floor. So either she accessed the basement from the outside or she zeroed in on the door to Laszlo's office. It was, miraculously, unlocked. All Cece had to do was turn the knob and push. The door wafted open with a little whine and then she was inside. She closed it behind her and pushed the button on the knob. It took a moment for her eyes to adjust, but when they did, she was disappointed with what she found. She'd half hoped for Laszlo's office to be a garden of perversity. Half-eaten bodies splayed out on examination tables, dismembered limbs attached to electrodes, faces in formaldehyde squashed up against glass jars. At the very least, she thought there would be plants with swaying vines sparking with electricity and sparring with each other. Instead, all she got was what looked like a construction foreman's workroom. Bare walls, plastic blinds, a thin area rug. The only thing sitting on the shelf was an old turntable and a handful of records. Cece stepped over and inspected them. The artists were unfamiliar the Barinha Ensemble, Don Cossack, Kitka. She turned her attention to the desk. It was the cleanest desk she'd ever seen, completely devoid of papers, pencils, or any other office supplies. As if someone had put it together, set it up, and said, I will never touch this again. The only item sitting on it was a foot-high statuette of a medieval monk holding a sword in one hand and a little tiny human being in the other. A name had been printed on the bronze plate screwed into the base. She leaned over to read it. Paracelsus, she said aloud. She tried to pick it up, but something anchored it to the desk. Intrigued, she pulled harder. A cord ran out of a hole on the desk's surface and into the statuette's base. When she pulled a third time, a lever clunked, and the chair behind the desk dropped out of sight. A crash, a smash, and the sound of glass shattering. Cece lowered the statuette back to its spot on the desk and scooted around to see what happened. An empty square took the place of where the chair used to be. A trap door. Laszlo actually had a trap door. Of course he did. She peeked over the edge. A wooden ladder was anchored into the cinder block walls. The chair rested on its side below, a broken glass jar next to it. Red lights blinked in the darkness. Laszlo, you little Scooby-Doo, you, Cece said. The ladder deposited her into another office, the exact same size and shape as the one above, but vastly different in decor and purpose. The marvelous thing about mad scientists, Cece thought, goggling at her surroundings is there flair for the dramatic. While she didn't get her dueling fire vines, the subterranean office looked like something from an evil 19th century biologist's lab. Glass jars filled with dark green liquid, arcane notations etched on yellowing paper, drawings of hybrid plant-animal monstrosities, a tank populated by glowing fish sparking with red and blue electricity. On the back wall behind the desk hung a framed picture of a severe woman staring death at whoever had been unfortunate enough to snap the photo. Everything about her was tense. Her shoulders, her hair, her jaw. Her fingers linked together like vices trying to tear each other off. On a gold plate on the bottom of the frame, a single word had been written. Mother. A bookshelf flying the cinderblock wall, its shelves populated with jars filled with biological monstrosities. Flesh twisted with flora. A hand growing out of, or grafted to, a tree branch. A twitching heart with mushrooms sprouting all over it. And yes! Ah, yes! there was the head in the jar. Two of them, actually. No, three lined up one next to the other. Cece put her nose up to the glass of the jar closest to her, frowning. The face's features were bloated and distorted, the skin lumpy and wrinkled. Five vine-like tentacles protruded from various places in its puckered scalp, waving listlessly in the green fluid. She flicked the side of the jar with her finger. The tentacle snapped awake. One shot out and struck the glass. Jesus, Cece barked, jumping back. Suckers with dozens of tiny sharp teeth opened and closed against the jar, seeking the source of the noise. Cece put her hands on her knees and squinted, her head shaking. A pump in the back of the sub-basement powered on, followed by an electric buzz. A fan word. Cece disengaged from the terror before her and exited the office through an open door at the other end. She let her eyes adjust. The rest of the basement looked more like what she had expected. Corroded water lines, sagging ceiling planks, a couple of rustic wash tubs, a pile of two-by-fours, waterlogged boxes. But that all proved to be just for show, for lining the far wall was a bank of computers with big-screen monitors gleaming above them. A wire snake extended out of a wall panel into which the computers were plugged, leading to rows of oil barrels lined up to correspond with the rows of plants above. Cables crept up the sides and over the top, where the male ends connected with female receptacles in the oil drum lids. Thick metal contraptions were bolted over the openings, themselves blinking with red, green, and blue lights. Out of the barrels ran the tubes, some flowing with the same dark red sludge that had so excited the Mortifloria and knocked Cece flat on her ass a few hours before. Most of the barrels fed tubes that ascended into the hoop house, but Cece caught sight of three that were sending sludge in a horizontal line farther back into the basement. Green light glowed from the depths. She had to turn to the side to scoop past the barrels and as she made it past the first one, she stepped on the pump and heard something crunch. Shit, she whispered. The pump shot sparks, and she hurried on, ducking under the tubes that led to the back, hoping she didn't just start a fire. It smelled less like a basement in the back, less moldy and musty and more pleasant, rich, flowery even. And then she saw why. Mortifloria, dozens of plants, sowed in perfect rows in a wide, square, raised bed. The barrels pumped the sludge into the tubes, the tubes pumped the sludge into the dirt, and the flowers pumped their yellow bounty into the air in load after pulsing load. A huge fan bolted into the cinder block wall sucked the loads into a massive vent and shot it down a long metal duct. It seemed to be aimed toward Yurtville. A glass jar smashed behind her, followed by two more. Pop, pop, pop. Cece crouched down, her head whipping toward the noise. The fan was too loud to hear anything else, and the green grow light overhead created strange shadows. The machines continued their tireless task. The tubes pumped their red gook, the flowers pumped their yellow pollen, and the fans sucked it all away. She'd seen enough. It was time to get out. She'd just made it past the final barrel when she felt something slick drip on her neck. She put her hand up and felt around, coming away with a thick, mucus-like slime. What the fuck? She said. She looked up. Hanging from the joist was a tentacle head. It hissed and dropped on her, landing on her back and chomping into her shoulder. The teeth tentacles wrapped around her neck and pierced her skin. Screaming, Cece grabbed it by its oily hair and ripped it off, the mouths coming away with chunks of her flesh. The tentacles whipped around in the air, threatening to latch on again. Cece thrust the nasty thing overhead with both hands and, with all of her strength, swung it down in a muscular arch like she was throwing a medicine ball. It smashed on the dirt floor with a sick splat. The mouth worked weakly, and a single tentacle lashed around. And Cece raised her knee to her chest and stomped it. It exploded in a shower of brain and bone. Another head scrambled toward her from under the shelf, using its tentacles as feet. Cece planted, drew back her leg, and kicked it like Mia ham. It scudded over the floor, threw the door to Laszlo's office, and smashed into the bottles on the lower shelf. Yellow-green liquid poured over its face, melting the skin and sending up a toxic cloud. The monster screeched, the tentacles waving and lashing about. Cece's eyes watered. She covered her mouth and nose with her hand and broke for the ladder leading out of the lair. There was no feeling like climbing a ladder and knowing something was behind you. There had been three pops, three heads, and she only got two of them. Though she practically raced out of Laszlo's evil lair, her feet pounding on each rung, with each step, she expected to feel the teeth of the final head chomp into her heel, the feeling of tentacle teeth ripping into her calf. She threw herself out of the hole in the floor and onto her stomach, pulling her feet out like a shark was about to bite them off. But how to steal it off? The panels dropped down. Panicked, she stood up and searched the office. The statue! She lunged for it and yanked as hard as she could. And sure enough, the panels shot back up. The lock activated with a thunk. Cece waited. For what she didn't know. When nothing happened, when no weird tentacle monster lumbered out of the nursery, When no weird fungus ball in the corner exploded in a shower of poisonous gunk, she let out a deep breath. Then something slammed into the trap door below, and she yelped and dashed away. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Mad Tales. Don't forget that Mungwort is out in ebook, paperback, hardcover, and audiobook. Listen to these awesome reviews of Mungwort. Joe Edwards says, Wow, this book kept my attention. You can really get into the characters. Noel really brings them and the scenery to life like you're really there and going through what these characters are going through and feeling. I love the way he writes. I almost felt like I was watching a movie, which would be a really good one. I love the ending. Well done, James Noel. Well done. Kevin R. Johnson states, Great, believable characters, evil goons, badass female heroes, unexpected twists, gory sci-fi, awesome ending, loved it. My all-time favorite of Noel's books. Another Amazon reviewer states, Holy mackerel, this is the first book I've read by James Noel and it has me lost for words. Terrifying, exciting, twisted and totally unique. It has very well-developed characters and is set in some sort of labor camp that's being attacked by the surrounding forest itself. And finally, Marie Isabel states, As a hiker plant-based creepies gave me the willies that's all for now thank you for tuning into mad tales and i will see you next week survived another episode of Mad Tales.